0: Welcome back to Bringing Light Into Darkness. So these accusations ag- against Russia, just as the attacks against Trump and Putin when they were meeting in Helsinki and stuff, seemed to be at really opportune times when there were ongoing either peace efforts in, in the case of Afghanistan had reached a point that had not been seen you know, for decades. And then the same thing that every time you get this blow up of this Russian did-it-aggressive narrative stuff, it seems right at the point when we're progressing well towards peace. And you have written about, and we've been talking about, how the Pentagon and the military-industrial budgets are intimately connected to the economic fabric of this very elite wealth inequality thing that we were talking about. Can you speak to those two points and how they may or may not be connected? Again, it's, it's, it's who benefits, again, I guess, in a certain sense. Sure,
1: yeah. Well, and you have to look into too, what's happening right now with the amount of money and resources being spent, say, on the pandemic. At some point, Congress may say, wow, we, we have to slow down our spending in other areas, including the defense budget. And the defense budget has been, you know, it's basically defense budget has doubled since 2001. While everything else in our federal government has either remained flat or has decreased in terms of spending, military and intelligence spending has doubled in 20 years, basically, in real terms. And, you know, that type of spending has fueled a wealth explosion in the Washington, D.C. area. So you have created this whole class where the Washington, D.C. area is now actually the wealthiest part of the United States. You know, in the past, that would have been New York or, say, Tulsa and Dallas because of the oil or Silicon Valley. But now, because of the spending on these wars and on the military, and all told, when you look at everything we spend on the military and intelligence and wars, it comes to about $1.2 trillion a year. And that includes interest spending, interest payments on past military spending, right?
0: Uh, excuse me, Matt. These, and these people that are on these cable and other news networks and are officials being cited in New York Times, Washington Post, Wall, Wall Street Journal, NPR shows, these people often are intimately connected to defense corporations that are being allowed the public's ear, where the opposite side and I think that's really the issue. It has to do with concept, going back to that concept of, of due process, that in order to have due process, both sides of the coin need need to be have approximately equal time. But we always, like you've said pretty eloquently throughout the whole show, we never see that other side of the coin. That's right. And, and what we do here are the positions of people that appear and are presented as experts, quote-unquote military experts, when they – actually represent the ideological framework of those that are benefiting immensely from these types of wars. These individuals may not not be doing so individually, intentionally, but as a group, they are part of a group that, that clearly does.
1: That's exactly right. What you typically see are either retired generals or admirals who are almost always on either working for defense companies or on the boards of defense companies, or you see civilian experts that are supposedly neutral, I guess, but they work for think tanks most of the time, or for universities. Universities receive a ton of military funding, and so these civilian experts are working for organizations that rely on funding from either the defense industry or sometimes directly from the Pentagon or the State Department or the CIA. So you do, you you have an absence, as what you said, uh, Pedro, of any dissenting opinion. Um, and even in this case with the Russian bounty, the the, the, the most dissenting opinion you get is people saying, well, it, it's not verified or what would be the motive of the Russians without getting into any deeper explanation. of the subject and why things have occurred where they're at. I mean, I don't want to take any agency away from the Russians. Of course they could have did this. And I often say that if, you know, Pedro, you and I were Russians, right, and we lived in Russia, we would be the type of people who are agitating and struggling against, you know, the autocratic government they have in Russia. Right? I mean, we would, but we're here in the United States, and we have to be concerned first and foremost with what our government is doing. And more than often, as you have said, our government is at best just provoking and oftentimes actually acting in a manner that is causing uh, these wars and sustaining these wars. Or in this case, with the Russian bounty, you know, it, it, this is, this for me, is more about the story who benefits in the sense of that you've got this massive defense and and war budget that needs to be protected. You have a promise to spend $1.5 trillion over the next 30 years on new nuclear weapons. We have aircraft carriers that the Navy wants to purchase that are $15 billion apiece. The Air Force, the next bomber they want to purchase is $2 billion apiece Mm -hmm. for one plane, $2 billion Right.
0: Better have something to fight against.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. So you have to continually stoke. You know, and the other thing, part about this, too, I, I, I want to make sure we, we speak to is that this is a political issue. This was released because the election is in five months. And this is the third time that unverified uh, intelligence, you know, evidence free intelligence, has been used to damage the presidency. Right. And I don't think anyone who knows me or you, Pedro, is going to say that we're Donald Trump supporters. Far from it, right? right. However, there are there are a thousand reasons to be opposed to Donald Trump. You don't need to have uh, things from our intelligence agencies to be opposed to Donald Trump. Yeah, you, world uh,
0: peace is, right? is not one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, so this is a third, and it is a, a, a very real and very effective piece of political work that's being done here. One, for the media, because the stories about Russia and Ukraine have really sustained the ratings for MSNBC and and CNN and Fox over the last last three years, Mm -hmm. and then for the political parties themselves. You know, the (laughs) Democrats can get a lot out of this because they can say, look, Donald Trump is a traitor, he's not protecting our troops, and Republicans on the other side can say, look, this is a hoax, just like all the other things that were released. So it's really dangerous. And the fact, too, then, you put on top of that, that senior men who ran the Central Intelligence Agency or who ran the NSA, people like John Brennan, Michael Hayden, Jim, Jim Clapper, these are people who are constantly on the cable networks speaking politically now. And right. so, of course, they still have their past connections to the Intelligence agencies. They still have their loyalties. So, this is a really dangerous, you know, and in the middle of all this, you have you and I and everyone who's listening and everyone else in the world, because in the middle of this, we're stuck between the United States and Russia, that between the two of them have 6,000 active and armed nuclear weapons.
0: I think right? the point there, yeah. too, is that we just went through seven or eight scenarios. Where we were told one thing, whether it was the Ukraine, whether it was, you know, right on down the list with the gas attacks, et cetera, and everything else. And it turned out to be another time and time and time and time again, they were wrong. Yet once again, we are told, who are you going to believe? Our intelligence officials or Vladimir Putin. You know, show the evidence. Hey, listen, in the last few minutes that we have, I wanted to play because uh, you're really getting to the crux of a major theme that needs to be repeated and explicated time and time again. The impact of media and the way that they're shaping it, not from journalistic standards, but from a narrative kind of fix the facts around the policy, if you will, deal. I've got two clips. Actually, uh, one of them I couldn't download, but one was a three-minute interview with Washington reporter of the article that kind of broke the story, Ella Nakashima, by Wolf Blitzer. This was back on June twenty-eighth. Basically, I just wanted—I'm reading the transcript since I wasn't able to get the actual audio—and I want to go ahead and read this to you, and then I want to play you a Rachel Maddow clip, and then have you respond uh, to finish off the show. Uh, Wolf Blitzer asks the question: What were the motives? of the Russians. A critical interpretation of her answer should immediately raise doubt in the Russian bounty allegation story. Her answer was, the motives are not entirely clear. They have folks scratching their head, a handful of US servicemen died, of course one would be too many, but again what we haven't even addressed in this show is we put our, our young men and women in harm's way for unjust wars time and time again over the last, since 2000 at least and before, as you've indicated. The responsibility of any death to a U.S. serviceman has to do with the people that sends them as much as anything else. I just wanna make that point. Um, Yep,
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: Secondly, back to the motive question, Nakashima says, quote, lots of speculation it was in retaliation for the attacks that killed several hundred Russian mercenaries and pro-Assad forces in 2018 after these mercenaries attempted an assault on a base protecting an oil field in Syria. Okay, so that was, I think, in response. uh, I think she's referring to actually we are not protecting as much as we are illegally occupying. (laughs) But but the point was, (laughs) is that there were terrorists that were actually at that base that were being attacked by the Syrian government and U.S. planes bombed Syrian army. Is that your understanding of what you, what she's alluding to here? I, I, am I am I reading that right? You think?
1: Yeah. Well, I, actually, by the time I think that attack had happened, uh, the Islamic State had been cleared out of that. But what had occurred in the years before that? And this is the is called De, Deir el Zor, and. Mm-hmm. Dar al-Zor have been taken by the Islamic State, and it's also kind of like the, where the production of oil is chiefly based in and around there in Syria. And so the Syrian government, with the help of the Russian military, had taken back large parts of that region, but then the United States wanted to grab it. So it sent it Kurdish forces into that area, and I believe when those Russians were killed at that point, they weren't so much protecting the Islamic State as just trying to keep... The Russians and the Syrians out of that area. The Syrian and again, territory the Syrian and government. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, to protect the oil. But it has, certainly, though, on other occasions in the war in Syria, the United States did act as the air force for the Islamic yeah. State and Al Qaeda. That okay. happened multiple times with the Wash with that Washington Post reporter. It reminds me that you know during the Cold War the washington post was called pravda on the potomac right, because right. we often criticize right pravda for being the state newspaper of the soviet right. union when the reality was the washington post basically functioned as the u.s government state, well that description uh, is,
0: yeah that description is even more apt when you listen to the rest of her quote here because yeah. she goes on to just put all of these unproven accusations into the context of proven fact certainties that they're not she goes so after the the assault on the base protecting the oil field piece, she goes on. Of course, there was also the U.S. and Western poisoning of former GRU spy Skirple in Britain in 2018. and We'll be addressing and featuring the unproven allegations surrounding Skirple uh, next week in much more depth. But returning to Nakashimi's broad-brushed critique of Russia, which is really just a list of allegations, again, without providing evidence of their substance, but which have been engraved into the American psyche as truths, despite the absence of evidence, but rather instead by the endless repetition by the corporate major media sponsors that control and dominate the information we get as Americans. This is the art of propaganda. But returning to Nakashimi's broad-brushed critique of Russia, she says, But more broadly, I would put it in the category of increased GRU brazen over the last decade against the West, against the U.S., whether you're looking at Russian interference in U.S. 2016 elections, which, uh, again, has been completely overstated and not proven as ha- as the hacking claims were never verified. Cyber attacks in Ukraine, she says, that the Russians allegedly guilty of, which I believe were, were disproved to deal with the artillery computers or whatever. Are, are you familiar with that?
1: There are accusations that Russians hacked into the Ukrainian military as well as, I believe, hacked into the Ukrainian electrical grid. And those were not be Excuse
0: me for interrupting, but CrowdStrike has admitted, and they had to recant, retract those accusations. But you see now they're still out there as proof, even though they've even been retracted. That's right. And she continues her personal attacks against Russia. It's a troubling pattern of greater hostility and aggression without really much attention regarding covering their tracks. And so instead of the fact that their tracks, the GRU, were not well covered being evidence that it was not the GRU, they use it as evidence that it was the GRU. So, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and Wolf, uh, his response to all of that unsubstantiated uh, nonsense, I would call it, is great reporting as usual you know that's what's his words anyhow with that being said let me go ahead and play this track from rachel maddow and have you comment to that to sum up the show okay sure so this is a june 26 2020 clip from the rachel maddow show on the breaking russia bounty allegations in which it becomes self-evident there is no hard evidence presented in any of her presentation to support the allegations As you review the tape, pay attention that she admits these are just unconfirmed allegations, but as she gets farther into the six-minute clip, she aggrandizes and builds into her presentation the unquestioning assumption that this definitely is Russian behavior, seemingly transforming an unproven assumption into an indignant characterization as fact that Russia and Putin are up to it again. No doubt, referring to other unproven assumptions, the U.S. public has been indoctrinated to believe as fact-based certainties, such as the scurple poisoning, that Russia aggression is to blame for the Ukrainian crisis, etc. It's proven Russian behavior because multiple sources, the circular firing squad of CNN, MSNBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, etc., are reporting it, despite not any evidence is presented as to what constitutes the substance of what they are reporting. Here's the clip.
2: Russia secretly offered Afghan militants bounties to kill U.S. troops. This is sort of stunning. Here's the lead. American intelligence officials have concluded that a Russian military intelligence unit secretly offered bounties to Taliban-linked militants for killing coalition forces in Afghanistan, including targeting American troops— amid the peace talks to end the long-running war there, according to officials briefed on the matter. The U.S. concluded months ago that the Russian unit had covertly offered rewards for successful attacks last year. Islamist militants or armed criminal elements closely associated with them are believed to have collected some bounty money. The official said 20 Americans were killed in combat in Afghanistan in 2019, last year, but it was not clear which killings were under suspicion. The intelligence finding was briefed to President Trump and the White House's National Security Council discussed the problem at an interagency meeting in late March, according to these officials. Officials developed a menu of potential options, starting with making a diplomatic complaint to Moscow and a demand that it stop, along with an escalating series of sanctions and other possible responses. But despite having created that menu of potential options for the president, quote, the White House has yet to authorize any step. The officials did not explain the White House delay in deciding how to respond to the intelligence about Russia. Yeah, raise your hand if you think you might be able to explain that delay from the White House. I mean, this is this is jaw-dropping. This is, like, kind of sickening news, right? Even for those of us whose, whose, whose jaws are already sprained... Um, from having dropped so far and so frequently this summer. I mean, if this Times report is correct, this means that U.S. intelligence has concluded that Vladimir Putin is offering bounties for the scalps of American soldiers in Afghanistan. Not only offering, offering money to people who kill Americans, but some of the bounties that Putin has offered have been collected, meaning the Russians at least believe that their offering cash to kill Americans has actually worked to get some Americans killed. The Russians at least believe, if these bounties have been paid out, that the people to whom they have offered this money have successfully gone out and killed American soldiers because of it, and the Russians have therefore paid for that service. And President Trump was told about this in March, and he has done nothing, nothing about it. He was given, what do they describe it as? A menu of possible responses. And so far he has chosen off the menu that he'll have none of it, thank you, he'll do nothing. I mean, there are, there are 20 American families grieving today Grieving right now because their American soldier, their dad or mom or son or daughter or brother or sister, was killed in combat in Afghanistan in the past year. Imagine you're a member of one of those families and you have just found out that Russia may have paid for the death of your loved one. Cash money paid as a reward for killing an American soldier. Imagine that American soldier was a member of your family. And now you know from this reporting in the New York Times, which has since been confirmed by the Wall Street Journal, that not only does the president know that Russia was paying for American soldiers' deaths, paying rewards for Americans' dead. The president knows it, he's been told, and what he's done with that information since he was briefed on it in March is, well, what has he done to Russia since then? Well, there was that um, unexpected and apparently friendly conversation he had with Vladimir Putin on June 1st. We learned about that from the Kremlin. According to the Kremlin, what they discussed on that call was how much Russia would please like to be allowed back into the G7. President Trump then got off that call of Vladimir Putin and immediately started publicly calling for Russia to be allowed back into the G7. Remember why they were kicked out in the first place? They were kicked out for invading a neighboring country and taking part of it for themselves. The rest of the countries in what was then the G8 decided that a country like that, Russia, could not be part of this elite club of countries that work together on big economic issues. Not if Russia was going to behave like that, right? That's why they're kicked out of the G8. That's why it became the G7. And of course, Russia wants back into the G8. Of course they do. There's a reason why they were kicked out though, right? Think about this timeline, right? President Trump gets briefed in March, that Russia is paying bounty money for dead American soldiers right now. And his response to that is nothing except a friendly call. And please, hey, everybody, let's now do this nice thing for Putin and let him back into this elite club of major countries. Oh, and what else did he do right after that? He announced unilaterally that he wants to pull thousands of U.S. troops out of Germany, which has freaked out even congressional Republicans because of how much it is widely viewed to be a unilateral strategic gift to Russia one that would undermine NATO, which is Russia's main geostrategic imperative, and would directly benefit Putin in exchange for nothing. That's how President Trump is standing up for Americans being killed for rubles paid by Putin's government. We have also just learned that the person who runs the Russia desk at the National Security Council, the senior director for Russia at the National Security Council, also just resigned as well. And I mean, that's been a pretty hot seat in this particular administration. Trump has burned through four different people in that job already in less than four years. But the fourth one just left suddenly and with no explanation. But now we know that that resignation was not long after the National Security Council and Trump were told about Putin paying cash bounties for dead U.S. soldiers. And Trump did nothing about it in response for months and counting. So what are your reflections on that?
1: Well, I mean, first, the, the, the Maddow comments are disgusting in the way that she puts forth the pain and suffering of the families of the soldiers, Marines killed in Afghanistan, when the reality is, as you said earlier, Pedro, they died because they were in Afghanistan. Uh, the, the Taliban does not need any more incentive to kill our soldiers there than the fact that our soldiers are there. It's clear. And so the way that she utilizes that is really quite disgusting. And it's all political theater. Right? It's all to get ratings, it's to get people upset, it's to get people to continue to watch. And it's just disgusting. But you know, with the journalistic standards and everything, it would be appropriate for me, uh, or appropriate I think in general, if before they launched into what the intelligence community was saying or after, they then said, and this is a reminder, these are the people who lied to you about Guantanamo Bay, who lied to you about... Iraq, who lied to you about the torture program, who lied to you about the drone program, who broke into the Senate computers, you know, and who then lied and perjured themselves in front of Congress about spying on the entire American population, you know, and, and, and taking all our emails and phones to our databases, you know, and on and on and on. Um, if that. That, I think, would be good journalistic practice, but that is never done. And, again, even if, hey, say these are all true, uh, say these these reports of boundaries are true, again, the reason it's occurring is because of a chain of events, a chain of reactions. In the 1990s, I think it was about 100 or so uh, retired admirals, generals, ambassadors, foreign policy-type people wrote an open letter to the Clinton administration saying, do not expand NATO. Do not expand NATO East towards Russia. And this is what they were talking about. This is why they said that, because if you provoke and are hostile to Russia, how are they going to act in response? And so it's really quite astonishing that, you know, you listen to Ellen Nakashima from the Washington Post when she's talking about Blitzer, the way she describes it is as if the United States is almost some innocent bystander. Victim. victim, Right, right, right? yeah, Yeah, that we're just standing, the United States just standing on the street corner and Russia comes up and is mugging us for no reason, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, let alone all that, of course, this is what's going to happen. And this also, to me, shows, Pedro, how much of a bubble most Americans are in when it comes to the wars overseas. The notion that somehow another nation may fight back, or there may be consequences of our military actions, such as our soldiers being killed. And, like, the, the, the fact that Rachel Maddow could then say she's shocked about this, is just, just shows how, how secluded we are from the effects of our wars and how removed we are from any thoughts of the consequences of them. You know, just, to, again, with the, the, the journalism, Russia did not absorb parts of... Russia did not invade Ukraine. There's no Ukrainian military in Russia in the sense of, like, Columns of tanks or or companies right. of soldiers. There's there's no, And and, you, and and actually, parts of eastern Ukraine wanted to be absorbed by Russia, and Russia said no. You know, I mean, like so, like it, it's factually inaccurate what they're saying. It's not even just the yeah. rhetoric; it's the facts that they're presenting are wrong, That's forming the- and influencing. You know, millions of people.
0: That's exactly. It's the very point. dangerous. That's exactly the very point. Very dangerous. It, it, yeah. It's the way that they manufacture the revisionist history, and then use the revisionist history as fact, as an truly a, really a false assumption that they then build their arguments off of, which she does in the way that you just described in psychology. You know, this whole idea of Russia as the aggressor projection is a defense mechanism that involves taking our own behavior or unacceptable qualities, or even our own country's unacceptable qualities, or foreign policies for that matter, and placing them on other people, on another country. Projection is often the result of a lack of insight and acknowledgement of our own motivations and feelings and actual historical actions, as you've kind of indicated. And when you have, you can only have that successful projection be successful if there's an ahistorical mindset, which our media ensures by its role, it seems to me. But it's always someone else causing the problem. Not that we have anything to do with the problem ourselves. And I think your point earlier about how important it is for American citizens in a democracy to be responsible to take responsibility for our government's actions. These actions are not just wrong. They've killed millions of people in Iraq alone. And if you just think about that for a second. Listen, Matt, if people want access to some of your work and continue to follow your analysis, is there a, a website or a method that you would suggest they find in your work?
1: Sure. You can go to, I belong to a think tank called the Center for International Policy. Um, and you can find some of my work there as well as the work of my colleagues. And we are unique in the think tank world in that we do not accept corporate donations. And then I have a website as well, Matthew If you just Google my name, Matthew ho, H uh, O H, you'll find stuff that I write videos of, uh, of, of interviews and such.
0: Well, listen, it's been a great pleasure visiting with you. We'll definitely stay in contact and follow your work and hopefully have you back on in the future. Thank you for your service and your continued service to our country and to the pursuit of social justice in this world.
1: Thank you, Pedro. And thank you for what you're doing.
0: All right, brother. Okay, so thank you for listening tonight. Do not let yourself get played as a chump. Arm yourself with historically contexted ideas that you can trust and that we source out. You can do so by going to pedrogatos.org to critically study our show content, if you like. That is pedrogatos.org. See you next week. We take you out with Land of Naivety.
1: breaks all is on line